Now, tonight, Becca and Beck, would you like to come up? Yes, you would. Come on. Oh, and the offering. Thank you, Dan. Wiggling. While they, these girls are coming up, we'll take up the offering. <laughs> Now, tonight on this wonderful day of celebrating mothers, we're actually going to talk a bit about the femininity of God. And we're going to have a conversation involving these two wonderful girls and we'll see where we go. Now, as a kind of large preamble slash disclaimer. Um, doing this actually makes me very nervous, more nervous than an ordinary service. And you might laugh at me and that's okay, you can laugh. Um, this, is, this is partly why, because in my life, if someone was at any stage of my Christian faith to talk to me or just have the topic of the femininity of God brought up, it would always be almost mocked as a new agey weirdo thing. Like we don't talk about that in church because we just don't. And so my Christian upbringing has had that kind of like you don't talk about that kind of stuff because it's weird. And then you throw in with that a very... Um, patriarchal history of our faith, um, a very male-oriented um, clergy, um, a Bible that was written by men and is entirely in our translations masculine and is only in the last, say, 10 or 15 years some of the translations have used gender-neutral language. Um, Talking about the femininity of God isn't something that's kind of normal or like common in church. And it's almost like I feel like I, on some level, represent the hang-ups of Christianity about talking about this topic. It kind of just makes me a bit nervous. So anyway, I thought I'd say that because maybe you feel the same. Um, maybe you don't. And I wonder, you know, when we use the language of Mother God, how many of us feel slightly uncomfortable in a way that if we said Father God, we feel no discomfort at all. And so it's some of that that I'm hoping to poke a bit tonight and I'm okay with us feeling a bit uncomfortable with it. Um, one of the great theologians that I read said, said, I'm paraphrasing, he said, you don't um, unbalance a 200-kilo gorilla by throwing bananas at it. You have to become a 250-kilo gorilla and sit on the other end of the seesaw. And I feel like in our church system and certainly in Christianity, um, patriarchy and male-driven images of God are like a 200-kilo gorilla. And for us to become more comfortable with embracing the femininity of God, because God is made both male and female in his image, so there is God who has femininity about him, then we need to do more than just throw bananas 
at the masculine thing. We need to talk about the feminine thing and have open conversation and learn to sit in our discomfort until we come to a place where we can embrace the fullness of God. A little bit like what Luke was talking to the kids about before but was really for most of us, yeah? <laughs> so anyway, uh, thinly veiled. So I've asked Becca and Beck to sit here tonight and, and be a part of this conversation because in my... In listening to these girls talk, I feel like they've got a good handle on some of this femininity stuff, especially as it relates to God. And so as they talk and as we have conversation, it will help us kind of embrace it. So I will be really happy for this to be like a conversation with all of us. And if anyone has something to add, um, just let me know and that'll be good. So... Is this being recorded? It is, but it doesn't have to. It can be edited. It can be it can be edited or not at all put up. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we'll see how we go. Where we can edit chunks out and just make it weird. Um, okay, so I sent these girls a few questions through the week, and I'll start with one, and we'll just see where we go. So the first question I sent to these girls was to ask them to describe what it's been like growing up or being faithful to, you know, church as a female? <laughs> um, so a little bit about my background. I feel like I've spent most of my time, um, especially as a Christian adult, in pretty conservative um, church spaces. So that may not my experiences may not resonate with your experiences is basically what I'm saying. So I'm just speaking from my own experiences. And um, usually those churches have uh, held pretty tightly to a complementarian perspective of gender where men and women are created equal but have different roles. And I feel like I was happy to go along with that for a long time until I really started to see the dissonance in theory and practice. So... I felt like in theory, I felt valued when people gave sermons and whatever, but then in practice, I didn't see any women um, part of the corporate gathering of the church. So they were part of um, administration, hospitality, and kids' ministry. And those things aren't devalued in God's eyes, but I felt culturally they were devalued. Um, we didn't see women, we didn't appreciate what they were doing. Um, there was lip service and tokenism given to their efforts. Um, and they were often working really bloody hard for the church and not recognized at all. Whereas um, sort of the men in the more superstar roles up the front preaching or in the music ministries or whatever, yeah, they had a lot of recognition for their efforts. Um, so for me, I felt like I had a conflicted relationship with church where I felt like uh, I was valued to some extent, but there was definitely a glass ceiling in terms of service or opportunity or role that I could participate in in the faith communities that I was a part of. Um, and I think for me, because I feel like my gifts have always been in sort of teaching and leading, I'm a high school teacher, um, I felt pretty stunted. So I would say that I survived in those communities, but didn't thrive. Um, yeah. Um, I, I grew up in a, an American Baptist church with my dad, the pastor. And um, American Baptists are pretty, 
liberal progressive for Baptists. Um, and I grew up in a denomination that ordained women, but I never saw any women actually preach or be pastors, really. And I, I always felt a, a, a sense of calling into ministry. And I think because of being a woman, I, I didn't see the possibility of actually pastoring a church. I, you know, for me, it would need to be something overseas because that was kind of the only way that I saw women um, do ministry unless you're going to work with kids. And I, I think growing up, um, one thing was just being very, I think as a, growing up as a woman in the church, you're very aware of your body. And especially I grew up in purity culture in America. Um, so like my worth really was whether I was pure, sexually pure. That was like where my worth was. This was not explicitly told me to me by my parents. I actually gained it a lot from other kind of churches around, but I, I really like latched onto that message and um, became very, like I was from probably 13 or 14, I'm like looking for this future husband who's going to, you know, complete me, that he's going to, like, this is, what, like, really where I thought the trajectory of my life was really headed toward was marriage. And that was, like, the most important thing. And, and nobody was really giving me other options. Um, and, yeah, and really looking for someone to kind of be, my, be the head of me, be kind of, I, I mean, I used to keep a journal to my future husband when I was 18 where I'm, like, writing out all these prayers about, it's actually hysterical. <laughs> And beautiful and painful. It's, it's a very interesting <laughs> journal. I did read it to Chris when we got engaged <laughs> to warn him what he was getting himself into. And we laughed and cried. It was amazing. But, um, but I, you know, I'm like praying all these prayers like, oh, God. Or, or no, actually, I was writing letters to my, this is why I didn't want this to be recorded. No. So I'm writing letters to my future husband. And um, I'm, who, I don't know if it was Chris at that point. <laughs> it was some, I don't know. Probably not Chris when I was 18. But um, I said, um, you know, I just can't wait to, I can't wait to submit to you. I can't wait to, to just follow you and serve you so that you can do your, you can fulfill your dreams. And now there's sometimes in my life where I'm like, I really regret praying those things. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So that's kind of what I was, I don't know if, if that happened here in Australia, but I know in America that was really like the thing and that's what you were worth. And, and um, anything that actually had to do with your body was very shameful. You wanted to be as androgynous as possible kind of in church. Um, if you wanted to be pure, if you wanted to be pure as like basically being a, kind of feminine in spirit, but not feminine in body, if that was possible. Um, so probably just, yeah, a lot of, a lot of shame that you just kind of, it's not told to you, but you just kind of absorb it from the soil, I guess. Kind of. um, show of hands, girls, how, how many of you resonate with what these girls have said? Yeah, so some of it, maybe not all of it, but certainly some of it's common. I suppose especially for some of us that grew up in the church because you pick up messages and culture when you're quite young that even if no one says things to you, you learn stuff perhaps by what's not said or by what's not modelled and things like that. I would say that, uh, and I've, I've probably shared some of this before, some of my story is that from a very young age, I felt a strong calling to really serve God with my life. And when I was um, 
in year seven in high school. Um, in a gathering of all the girls in my year, in year seven, we had to go around the room and say what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I told everyone I was going to be a minister. Um, <laughs> on some level, I probably thought it was some kind of evangelistic like statement. But on another level, I was just like, this is what I want to be. And I grew up in the Uniting Church, um, which does in fact also ordain women, but um, it certainly wasn't common back in the 90s. And I remember that somewhere in between year seven and year 11, I realised that women don't do that because I never saw a woman do anything. So something twigged. Nobody said to me, you can't do that. But something twigged in my mind that, oh, women don't do that. So I changed my mind and ended up studying nutrition and um, never done anything with it. But it's funny how the things you pick up that you no one tells you, but as a woman about femininity and roles in the church, you pick it up through culture as much as, as anything else. And um, it does have an effect, really, on women. Um, okay, so how do you girls see God as both masculine and feminine? Or perhaps... What are some of the feminine images of God that have really resonated with you or helped you connect with God and with your own femininity? Um, just a few that uh, struck me as I was reflecting on this question are the sort of the images, in, especially in the Old Testament, of um, God being described in maternal ways like a mother hen and wanting to gather Israel under her wings and sort of like a mama bear, that kind of idea of protective and nurturing. Um, but also Proverbs um, personifies wisdom as female. And for me, that's always really um, stuck out for me, like this beautiful attribute of God. Wisdom has been personified as a woman, like uh, that really struck me. And then the idea of the Holy Spirit being a helper for Israel and that in the Genesis creation story, um, the woman is created as a helper, um, which I guess for me, I always read that as less than, um, like a sidekick. But I think uh, having sort of thought a little bit more about what does that mean for God to be our helper, actually um, in some ways puts God in a superior position, a position of strength and a position of guidance and um, protection. And so I guess I've sort of revisited the Genesis story with sort of some of those connotations, which has sort of changed a little bit for me. So, um, yeah, ways of sort of opening up uh, the character of God to allow some of those feminine attributes. And then I think for me, um, God's creativity and this idea of, I guess, birthing. Um, in a sense, God is always birthing, uh, perpetually birthing, um, always creating. And, um, and I think that that's quite profound, that women get to participate, not all women, but um, some of us get to participate in that, um, yeah, that birthing experience. And I think the Bible also talks a lot about God using um, sort of laboring and birthing imagery too. Um, so I think it's definitely there. It's kind of peppered throughout the scriptures. And I feel like if you're looking for it, and I suspect a lot of women pick up on it when we do stumble across it because it's, it's often not picked up for us and placed in front of us. So um, you become quite attentive to parts that you 
are like, hey, I never knew that was there. And it's quite affirming of your own femininity and your image bearedness. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think because it was, the Bible's written in such patriarchal cultures that it's such a miracle when there is this imagery of God that is feminine. So, yeah, you do definitely pick up on it. Um, I just had this quote from um, Meister Eckhart. He, he says, What does God do all day long? God gives birth. From all eternity, God lies on a maternity bed giving birth. Or maybe squatting in the shower or <laughs> something a little bit more natural. Um, yeah, and I think, um, oh, I would, yeah, what, what I was going to say about is um, the word mercy and compassion, that those, were, those words in Hebrew come from uh, the Israham, which is, is connected to the word for womb, which is the Rahim. And so the mercy of God is like from God's womb, and um, for, my, for my Muslim friends, I love, especially when, when we were just in Lebanon and I got to hang out this group of um, Syrian moms, or Syrian women of all ages, and I got to do a little talk on fertility. And um, I got to share that when you, know, when you pray, Bismillah, Irraham, Irrahim, that you're, you're praying to God, the, the merciful, Rahim, and that that's the same word as for womb. You know, so even in the Quran, we have this beautiful picture of God with a womb. And, um, yeah, I, I love that. I think there are things about, you know, even before I became a mom, getting to be with pregnant moms in labor, that there was, I knew there was something in that, those moments, that in the, in the pain, the excruciating pain, the hopelessness, and then, and then the deliverance that I knew was God. I knew it was, like, this is the heart of God. This is what the heart of God goes through in the world, this pain and joy, pain and deliverance. These are the rhythms of the world. And, and being a woman and getting to be with women, even before I had my own children, getting to just be with women in that part of their life was, like, such a, that's, like, where I got my most deepest revelations of God. And those, those aren't, those are peppered in the Bible, but it's, I feel like it should be, like, the main thing, you know? Um, yeah, sometimes... I've read and, and, and talked to people about, like, what if, what if women had written the Bible? Like, how would God be, have been described? And maybe it would have been more like God as a midwife, which is in Psalm 22. But maybe there would have been a lot more God as a midwife with hands covered in, in the blood of new life rather than a warrior God whose, you know, hands are covered with the blood of death. I, I, yeah, I don't know, so. Beautiful, isn't it? There is, um, I, I mean, I'm not going to read this out, but there are, there's plenty of people that have compiled a lot of the references of God and the feminine in scripture. So if you're interested in that and you would just like me to flick you some links so that you can read through it yourself and just have a look at those verses and, and dive a bit deeper into it, let, let me know because I've got a couple of links that I can just flick through to you. I think one of the things that I've learnt um, along the way in this, which again is is something that we miss in our in our culture and in our um, and in our Bible, is that um, the Hebrew as a language, like many of the Latin-based languages—Italian, Spanish, French—they have both masculine and feminine. Um, yes, nouns. So, like a word. 
either has a, is masculine or it's got the feminine. Usually, well, in Italian, it's by the ending. If it ends in O, as an Italian, it's a masculine word. If it ends in A, it's feminine. So I, I studied Italian, can't speak it anymore. But anyway, so Hebrew is the same. So there are words in the Hebrew language that either are masculine or feminine. But we don't get that in our translations of the Bible because English doesn't have that. And I recently heard someone say, and this is totally un... I should, maybe I shouldn't even repeat this, but I, I haven't heard. But they did t- say that every noun for God in the Bible is masculine and every verb for God in the Bible when he does stuff is feminine. What I, do, I don't know if that's 100% true, so I've quoted I haven't checked it. But what I do know is that the word ruach, which is the word for spirit, the ruach is hovering over the waters, the ruach of God, that is feminine. In its root. So I think that the Hebrew people, as they read their scriptures, had a far greater understanding of the beauty of both masculine and feminine than we do in our English because we have a very, um, you know, gender neutral language. And so there is a lot of feminine um, language in scripture. We just, unless you can read ancient Hebrew, you miss it. And so that's been something that has really kind of been life-giving for me in growing in this is realising just how much of the feminine is in our scriptures even if we don't have it in English. It's almost like it sets you free, it set me free a little bit to kind of shake off some of that male heavy stuff that has boxed me in my life and realise that God is so much bigger than any of that and that there are images in both the Old and the New Testament that are very feminine. Like in the New Testament when Jesus is telling parables, sometimes he uses men as stand-ins for God and sometimes he uses women, like the woman who sweeps the house looking for the coin. She's an image of God. Like the woman who, who bakes that enormous loaf of bread. She's an image of God. And so Jesus himself engaged in kind of like, yes, he, he called God Abba, Father, but he also used feminine kind of like images for God. And I guess for as women, one of the things that has always been very liberating is just the way that Jesus related to women um, as well. So I don't know if you girls have any comments about how you've enjoyed the way that Jesus had relationships with women or anything. I think whenever I felt so overwhelmed by some of the patriarchy and misogyny, um, the sort of the golden thread for me has been how has Jesus related to women. Um, And to see his interactions with women that are so affirming and respectful, um, non-sexualized, that he was birthed by a woman, like Mary plays this hugely prominent role in the incarnation story. yeah, I, I think for me that's been super affirming that Christ appears to women after he's raised from the dead, um, that the whole way through he's, he sees them um, and connects with them and doesn't dismiss them, uh, especially the, women's, the women on the margins, the ones that are perhaps a bit powerless, voiceless in that society and that community, um, he goes to them. And that's always had a profound impact on my um relationship with God um, and yeah and it's probably kept me um, engaged in my faith actually when it's felt pretty bleak yeah 
Yeah, I think just Jesus' willingness to break purity codes and break the kind of normal way of functioning and to really imagine something new, even though people probably thought it was, you know, that he was going to be impure because of letting a woman who was bleeding touch him or, um, you know, the way that he cared about widows, you know, even like the widow that he raises, her only son has died and he, he raises her back up. And it's like it's for her, really, like less for the man who was raised. It's more for the, the widow who's going to be left destitute. And um, yeah, it's really, really inspiring. I think that's as women, we can often just draw ourselves back to Jesus. And just the things he talked about, talked about lilies and talked about welcome children and even says you know in at the end of john that you know you w- when i leave your pain is going to be like a woman in labor but then you're going to f- feel the joy like when the baby's born like how would jesus know about that unless he'd spent time with and unless he'd like listened to his mom and his aunties talk about birth and um so he was obviously a special guy good example of an understatement um does anyone would anyone like to make a a comment at this stage share any of their own experience or share something that they've you know come across in their own engagement of god as feminine as well as masculine I'll, i'll come over this way Yeah, this is, I love the fact that we're actually even talking about what is, I guess, the mother heart of God, because it's um, something that I only came across very, very recently, and I thought, oh, I'd love to, like, chat about that <laughs> sometime, and then I'd come to church, and we're talking about the mother heart of God, um, but I'm going to get really deep really quick, but it's, it's church, we're family, so let's go for it, but, um, so I have um, epilepsy, and um, a couple of I think months ago, I was lying in bed and my roommate was next to me and I was like shaking in bed and she was reading a scripture over me and um, she turned to Psalm 131 and there's um, a part, and it's quite a short psalm, but there's a verse when it's um, using very like maternal language and um, really paints this picture of God as a mother and, and she was reading that over me and it struck me in that moment where I needed comfort, reassurance and when I'm back home in the UK, my mom's always there to comfort me when I have like a seizure or something happens. Um, and it's like in the shack, you know, like God can appear as a man or as a woman. And in that moment, I didn't actually, I think there's like a time and a place where you need like a father, a mother or a friend. And in that moment, I just needed not necessarily a father, but I just needed like a mother to be with me and comfort me and emotionally just affirm me and be like it's okay we're gonna get you through this it's okay and it opened my eyes and I was like wow God isn't just Abba Father like he is so much more he is so much bigger and so much more than I even thought I knew so it was a a real lesson to me to not box him in like he can't be boxed into just one gender we're made in his image like male and female he created them so I, yeah, it was just a lesson for me to just not bo- box him in, but he will be for us, for what we need him to be in that moment, whether it's m- mother, father, friend, whatever it is, God will be that for you. So, yes, I encourage you to pray, like, God, 
please be for me whatever I, I need you to be right now, whether it's a father, you know, the comfort of a father or the comfort of the mother. And it can sometimes depend on your own um, relationship with your earthly mother, father, but God can and will restore and redeem any relationship which may affect the way you see him as mother or father. So, yeah, it's encourage you guys in your prayer life like to approach him gender neutral. Um, yeah, probably just following on from that, the whole thing about mother-father stuff. Um, I come from a culture where the men are, um, from the Vietnamese culture where men are quite the authority figure or head of the house, very traditional culture, and grew up in a family where my father was also authoritarian style of upbringing. And being 17 years a Christian, probably it's only been in the last three, maybe four years, I've been able to even just start to play with the idea that God's even a male because I could not relate with him any other way except that he had to be a mother to me because there was no way in the world I could have a relationship with a male God um, after the type of upbringing that I had and the only way I knew to have a relationship with a God was if I you know, imagine God as a female. Um, and it's taken a long time to get to a place where God even has a male appearance in my mind because of um, that stuff from my past. But he's been so patient and um, generous in that journey. And I just wanted to say that a lot of the things that Becca and Beck shared I really identified with because it's been the the maternal and the feminine and the gentle, nurturing, caring aspects of, um, of God and, and his stories through the Bible and experiences that have helped me, yeah, get to where I am, uh, where I'm ready to interact with him um, in other ways. Yeah, so thank you. Thanks, Does anyone else want to... Uh, Al? Well, I think I've been... <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Now, I've been a Christian for about 50 years and um, I remember when this notion of God being a woman was first mentioned, I was a little bit shocked, actually a little bit offended probably, <laughs> um, because my image of God was, was Father, you know, and I rationalised it out a bit and I thought, well, the Holy Spirit can be mother, that's okay, you know. So I've divided the Trinity up a little bit now. We've got <laughs> mum and dad. And <laughs> but, um, and I think the church has missed the mark, probably. I don't think, uh, I think they're learning in this area. So that was the, the concept that was handed down from the church to, to people. To myself, anyway, ages back, was, was certainly um, the woman was a helpmate and helpmate had a very definition around it, which was help. <laughs> yeah, well, that's another story. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but now... Now I guess I'm transitioning from that because just 
back to scripture, I guess. You know, I think of scriptures like Jesus said, there's no male or female in heaven. Uh, we're, we're sort of together. So this help meet thing, however you want to interpret that, was that Old Testament? Did that stop when Jesus came? Um, uh, the New Testament is, is different. Um, was it valid, in a sense, in the Old Testament? doesn't really matter, I suppose. It's all gone now. <laughs> but um, one little thing is Adam was made Adam, X and Y chromosome, if you like. He was male and female for a period of time until God took the rib out and made woman. So the original Adam was male and female in that sense. Now whether he took some, something out of Adam <laughs> or whether he took some qualities out of Adam and left Adam male and female, um, he probably did because I think, I think men may have been trained or cultured to, to be men and uh, lose the feminine aspect of their personality through culture in a fair bit. I'll stop rambling on. That's no, good. Anyone from this side of the church, just, you know, oh, there's a couple here. Good, good on you. I'll just um, follow on a little bit from, from Al because you said about, um, you know, through, through culture and, you know, like, you know, males losing feminine side and that kind of thing. And I think I actually kind of like how God or, or life, if you want to call it, or God through life, I don't know, just kind of throws things at you that start to kind of blur, I guess, um, or maybe just expand some of your your lines or your boundaries around, you know, masculinity only existing, like being all for men, you know, femininity being all for women, you know, because there's masculinity and then there's there's male and female in terms of gender. And so I guess I just, I like that some experiences in my life and, and even growing up with with a dad that's probably pretty balanced, you know, like softer side and, and a mum that's pretty balanced, kind of stronger side as well. Um, that helped me to actually just see things a little bit more holistically and my dad's femininity didn't take away his masculinity and my mum's masculinity or like strongness or whatever you want to call it didn't take away from her, her, her softness as well. And I just think it's, it's good that we can lessen some of the... Um, the cultural pressures on like oh like it's cool because god's like a mother and a father so that means that like as a male figure he's going to always be strong and as a feminine he's always going to be like soft like women can be hard as well and men can be soft as well and i don't know it's just it's good um i spent a lot of my um childhood and and teenage years uh being really interested in lots of different religions different pantheons of gods and always a christian and believing firmly in in the one god one true god but it, i always had that question of okay so if the greek pantheon has all these gods and goddesses and yes something that is a feature of that particular faith was that they their gods were very human but I'm like, but there's, these gods cover all these different things and yet I've just got, I'm trying to have all of these in one God and I'm wanting my God to be more than he'd been presented to me to be, I suppose. I wanted a God that cared about the hearth and I wanted a God that, you know, that not that God was not enough, but the way that he'd been presented in my very conservative Anglican upbringing was, 
is you know very much just that that warrior as you said the strong the masculine um and so being presented with the idea that god could be feminine and i'm like okay so this is this is what i've been looking for this is the idea that was missing was yes my god is you know not god and goddess like but actually just in one person cares about these tiny little concerns that i have cares about the the concerns of womanhood as well as um all the, the big things you know the big manly things um and it kind of opened up god to me in a way and like what fung was saying i could relate on a, a whole new level to to mother god so, yeah i think it's great you know thinking about what luke said before that every every statement about god is an understatement and i think there's for some of us there's lots of undoing for us to do in some of the statements we've received about God, some of the pictures we've inherited, some of the things we've been given. Um, there's some ways to explore it that give us a fuller and more wonderful picture of who God is. So that's really good. Um, okay, question. Have you girls, have you ever encountered misogyny or discrimination as a woman in the church or in Christian faith? And if so, and you're willing to share, how has it either wounded you or strengthened you or a bit of both? For me, I think it's been institutional misogyny more than anything else. Like the structures that are in place, um, I don't have access to certain things. Um, The stories that are told are often told from a male perspective about men and um, a quote from Eugene Peterson that I really love is that stories are verbal acts of hospitality. And so if the stories that are being told to us over and over in a sermon, whether that these are the stories from the Bible or just sermon anecdotes about, you know, male-driven sport or whatever, um, these are all about men and over and over if they're supposed to be um, verbal acts of hospitality, for me the message has been not welcome. Not welcome, not welcome, not welcome. Um, And so I feel like those are my experiences really of, um, I guess, misogyny or just sort of in the structures, I think in the male bias just over and over that women just haven't been considered. And I don't think it's like this, um, this evil thing that men have plotted how to silence women in the church. I think it's just a a place of privilege. We don't know what we don't know and those are blinders and we never really considered how we might be overlooking or silencing or dismissing um, a group of people. Um, I also think like yeah some of the discriminatory aspects I think are also in the way we stereotype gender um, I think for men and women, which is super unhelpful, you know, the, the, all the male outreaches of, you know, meat eating, beer drinking, barbecues and all the women's outreaches are pampering luxury evenings where someone will rub your feet and give you chocolate. And they're not bad necessarily, but um, I know for Adam and myself, often we would prefer to go to the opposite um, <laughs> thing. He loves chocolate and... Uh, and a good foot rub. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just, I think that they're hurting all of us um, when we, yeah, when we don't hear from other people from a diverse 
um, range. And I think you could talk about race and a whole bunch of other minorities that are just silenced, they're just voiceless, not present, um, not considered um, in, our, in the way that we um, go about teaching and learning about God. Um, so I think in those ways, and I think I've just been overlooked all the time in different um, contexts for like Bible study leaders, like always it's like, oh, we need Bible study leaders and they like look out into this sea of people and um, they are only really asking half of those people to be leaders because we're knocked out of the running because we've got a vagina. So, but they never say that explicitly. It's part of the culture of the, the churches and the Christian um, spaces that I've been part of um, where that would only be appropriate for me to assume any kind of teaching role if it was only for women. And there are very few occasions that they have structurally put in place that are only for women. So those opportunities are very, very limited. Um, so I think that those sorts of structural and institutional ways are ways that I feel have been discriminatory and, um, yeah, and sort of anti-women, not always because people have wanted it. I think most of the time it's just from kind of ignorance, really. Um, I remember my first class at my Christian, I went to like a Christian university to study Bible and theology, and um, my intro to Bible class, which is like Bible 101, and because um, I had grown up with the, you know, being taught that women were equal, and like I was not shown that, but I was taught that, and so all the verses about women being silent in church and women covering their heads, like that was not ever really emphasized, just like we don't really tend to emphasize that here, do we? <laughs> You know, for some people, those are like their favorite verses. <laughs> those people were in my intro to Bible class. So they're like these 18-year-old guys who this is like, seems like the most important thing to them. And it, it, I was like very shocked, very shocked. And I initially spent a lot of time trying to debate, debate them. But like I hadn't studied the opposite view in the way that they had passionately studied that view. So I didn't actually, didn't, we just argued and started crying. Um, and then I kind of adopted their view for a probably a year or two. Um, no, no, but I did wear very long homemade skirts <laughs> and like big baggy t-shirts and long sleeve cardigans. Like, a very special time. There's, there's a picture. No wonder I didn't meet my future husband at university. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so anyway, that was, that, but that was my first time to really have people that, it's, it's almost like they hated you. There's something about you, they just, it's not, they didn't though, right? They loved you, but they really, that was so important to them, was that I shouldn't be able, that there's something inherently wrong with me, that I, I would not be able to hear from God or understand God's heart like they would because I'm a woman. Um, and then I think otherwise it's just the lack of seeing, the lack of hearing. The, you don't have many male pastors talking about, Pregnancy and childbirth, you know, as, as examples of God, how God works in the world. So when you just don't get to hear women preach, you don't, you're not, you know, or about being at a, like, not to, you know, occasionally Carol talks about being a mom and being either the funny things your kids say or the ways you're furious with them. And I can just relate to that, which is really nice. Um, and I think... I think feeling, I, I have felt, I've mostly seen women defer to men in church settings and any even religious kind of institutional settings. Um, in my college, I think there was only two female professors and they were known as like the feminist professors that people kind of whispered about, like 
if you take her class, it's a feminist class. It's like all the other theology the white men are doing is just theology. But our, our theology is, just, you know, women's theology, right? Um, and I think, oh, and I had another situation which, uh, and this is people that love me dearly, but I was, in a, I was in a setting where I was teaching up front, you know, a group of people, and Salem, my little guy, was a baby, and like maybe just a few months old, and he needed to feed, he needed to breastfeed, well, and so, you know, someone holds him back in class, he's crying, so I'm like, is it better, what do we do? So I just had him in the carrier, you couldn't see anything, but I was feeding him while I taught, and, um, you know, someone spoke to me afterwards, and just, they, some, a couple people really didn't like that I did that. But if you want me to share, part of me at that time in my life is that I have a baby that's attached to my breast a lot of the time, that m milk comes from my body for my baby. And this shouldn't make us uncomfortable. And it was still discreet, but it felt like, wait, do you want me to, for the next couple years, just to not get to teach or not get to share? Because that's kind of what will happen. And um, I think that's still where, like, and even I'm known to, like, occasionally refer to God as she or her when I'm praying or singing or teaching. And I, I still feel hesitant about that. And I think that is in itself, it is a, a form of misogyny. Because if I'm comfortable to say God as he, I, I should be just as comfortable to refer to God as she. Um, I went through that stage where you only say God and God's self, okay? But that's just not very like personal. So um, I, I think we should just mix it up. I don't know. Okay, maybe one last question, and then we might just do something else. Um, when you think about, you, you've both got a daughter. When you think about them growing up in the church, um, what is some of your heart for how they will grow up in faith and in God and in the church in ways that will really empower who they are rather than perpetuate some of the same experiences that you've had do you have some thoughts around that um i'd love for soph to grow up in a church that just sees her um as god's made her and wants to have her flourish in the love of christ and i have that um that hope for judah as well but um, for Sophie, because my own experience, it's, it's difficult as a woman. And I think, um, I think in particular what I want for her is for her sexuality to be in some ways embraced. That when she becomes a woman and hits puberty, that she's not considered dangerous or a threat. That people don't want to be alone with her anymore that it's not okay for someone to give her a hug anymore um, I really don't want that for her I want her to be in a safe place where when she's going through uh, periods of transition she's embraced and um, given full rights of personhood and dignity as a woman um, and if she chooses not to marry and not to have kids that that remains the same, that she is valued as a single person um, in the community. And she's not a lady in waiting. She's not waiting to be married. She's not waiting to have children, that those experiences don't complete her, that Christ completes her. 
and not in a male sense because Christ is a man, Jesus is a man, but in a God sense that, that we can only get what we are looking for um, in the person that created us, um, the divine creator. Um, so I really resonated with what you said about purity culture. And when I was thinking about this, that was my biggest fear for her as a girl in the church was that she would have all this junk put upon her when she becomes a woman, uh, that somehow she is responsible all of a sudden for the holiness of the boys and the men in her faith community. And I've heard so many stories, uh, stories about women in Bible colleges in Sydney who came to lectures with wet hair and were talked about afterwards because they shouldn't be tempting the men in that way. She had a shower, like she was rushing to class. Like this is some of the absurd levels that, um, that some of our Jesus spaces are taking it. And that makes me so sad um, just because it's so inconsistent. Guys have the talk about pornography and women have the talk about modesty. And that's crap because it means that women are often perceived like they don't have any libido and their sexuality is just void. It's just nothing and we don't talk about it ever. And for men, it gives them the impression, our young guys, that you're just crazy hormonal and you're spending all your days just trying to keep it in your pants. And it's ridiculous and it's not helpful to either of them. And so for Sophie and Judah, I really hope that they grow up in a church that's so safe for them to um, be who God wants them to be. Because um, I think at the moment we got so much baggage, um, so much baggage, and I think for a lot of the time it's um, young girls have a lot more responsibility for the purity and holiness of the entire community, and it should just be between them and God, really. I actually was in college. I was a part of a, a Bible study, and we read the book Lady Ladies in Waiting or Lady in Waiting. Have you guys actually read? That? Yeah. So I was. <laughs> um, yeah, I disagree with everything you just said. Yeah, and I, I just really want to honor Carol because I think it's got to be so tough to be a pastor who also is a woman. I, I know that she doesn't have a lot of other female pastors to hang out with, and she has to go to lots of things where she's gathering with all these men, and half of them or more probably think she's not even legitimately a pastor. And that's a, I just can't imagine having, you know, sacrificing so much for this calling to create this kind of space for us here and to not even have the support that all other pastors would have. And, um, yeah, that's, like, another reason. I, my daughter's growing up with a female pastor. I'm so stoked about that. That's going to, all of our kids, are, they're, they're not having that only men can do this. And that's already going to change so much for them and how they see God and how they who they think can hear from God and, and bring words from God and lead, lead groups of people. So I think that's a really powerful thing, and I'm, I'm so grateful to be at Central. And actually, we have so many other really powerful female voices in this church, and I think even for me, I feel, since being at Central the last five, about five years, like I just feel less apologetic for my own opinions and my thoughts. I feel less apologetic with the microphone. And I think that's, as you can tell, and I think that's from being here, really. That's from Central and seeing so many women bring what they have, bring their tears, bring their stories, bring their, their dreams, and bring it in their, their voice. We're not trying to, you know, be like men so we can 
speak or use the same language that men use. We're, we're, we're bringing, you know, the femininity, of God, the femininity of God is alive in us right now as a, as a church, and I think it's awesome. If you have strong women in the church, you won't have strong men. I think it's the opposite. I think that you can have strong women and strong men. And uh, there are some incredibly strong men in this church that I'm very grateful for. And um, it's about all of us becoming complete in Christ. And as each of us does that work, we all grow together. And that's a, a beautiful picture of, you know, the church. Like there is no male or female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ. That's our aim, to be one in Christ, that each one of us looks to Christ and becomes one with him and in that we become one with each other. Oh, yeah. I think one of the things that's just jumped out to me as we've been speaking to is that like that um, link between how we see God and the way we live our lives and that for so long we've just viewed God as a male only and so, like you were saying, Beck, that there's been this dissonance between the way we speak and the actual way that we've valued the women in, in the church and in our world. And so, as we can hopefully learn to see the masculine and the feminine side of God, the, the outworking of that practically in the church and in how we live our lives will change in the way that we value the, the you know, the men and the women, the masculine and the feminine, practically in our world, those things should shift as well. And I guess um, in our church we've started to see some of some of that and I think there's there's more health and wholeness and the both end to come as we as we celebrate more the fullness of who God is. Well, just before we pray, we might finish by praying. I guess as my paranoid disclaimer, um, this kind of thing needs to be an ongoing conversation. So if talking about God as feminine makes you uncomfortable, talk to someone about it. Don't feel like you have to hide that or pretend or that it's not okay to think differently from other people. Like in this church, it is okay to think differently. It is okay to wrestle. It is okay to question. It is okay to have conversation and sit in a different position from the person next to you or the person out the front. But if you hide your discomfort, um, you'll have nowhere for it to go and it will just fester inside of you. But if you have conversation around your questions and your searching, that's where the fruitfulness is. So whether it's around gender or any other thing that we discuss, my, my challenge and my encouragement to you is just have conversations with people. And my statement as your leader is that in this place, it is okay for us to disagree because we all love Jesus. And becoming a Christian doesn't mean you have to sign the agreement statement. There is diversity and there's beauty in that. And we will try our best always in Central to hold diversity and difference and still have a safe space for everyone to belong. So maybe to finish... I'm putting these girls on the spot, but Beck, could you maybe pray for us as a church that some of this, we would just keep journeying along this way, 
And then after that, Beck, could you just maybe lead us in a prayer that connects us with the mother heart of God? That as we finish and forever we're out here tonight, we just have that connection with that comfort and that's being talked about. Is that cool? So I'll let these girls have the last word. Creator God, we just thank you that you have created us male and female and that we are created in your image and that you love us so deeply and you know us so well and that you want good, good things for us, that you are present in this space, in this community of believers. Um, I pray that you would continue to work in us, uh, revealing yourself to us, helping us to marvel at... um, the different personalities, the diversity, um, the unique experiences of the people that are here. Help us to love each other well. Um, Yeah, help us to listen to each other well and help us to continue to pursue you together. Um, Yeah, with all of our brokenness and the way that we don't quite understand, we just lay it before you and just ask that you would continue to guide us, help us, take us um, step by step closer to you together. Um, from Isaiah 66. For thus says the Lord, I will extend prosperity to her like a river and the wealth of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bodies shall flourish like the grass. And it shall be known that the hand of the Lord is with her servants. And God, we, we ask that in those places of our hearts, our minds, our bodies, where we need the comfort of a mother with her child, that you would bring that. And if we've closed ourselves off to that, God, would you come and just gently open, gently, gently show us new pictures of yourself. We need your comfort. We need your mother heart over us. And, yeah, we thank you, God, that you you are a fierce mama bear that is never going to give up on us, never going to give up on this planet, never going to stop loving us. Amen. Great. Well, thank you, girls, for being honest. And, uh, and vulnerable and let me know what you want me to edit out. <laughs> um, have a fantastic week. If you haven't called your mum yet, go and call your mum. Very important. Uh, talk to your mum today if you can. Um, and we'll see you next Sunday.